things to learn from that. And I want to tonight to read um, some verses out of chapter number one to lay a little bit of a foundation. It's very interesting that there's a couple of phrases in chapter number one that are uh, very intriguing. One of them is the will of God. I'm not going to preach about that tonight, but you could find verse one, verse five, verse nine, verse 11, and then chapter five and chapter six, you would find the will of God is mentioned in the book of Ephesians. And it is a book that gives us the will of God for our life. And remember, the church is not about a building, all right? Uh, many places I go in, in foreign countries, they don't have a building, all right? But they have a church. And there's a group of people that are meeting in Mozambique, in India, in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, um, that in the last year or so, they started a church. And they don't have a building, but they gather, they pray, they sing songs, they worship the Lord. And um, that is a church. They have leadership, they have the Bible, and that is so true. And I say that because for a church to be what God wants it to be is every person has to know the will of God. And you should believe that the will of God is for you to be in this church. I tell people all the time, if, if you don't believe that, then why would you be there? That's like every Sunday you're out of the will of God. You know, all week long you're out of the will of God. You need to be in the church that God wants you to be in. Now, that doesn't mean we all need to leave tonight and go find a new church, amen? Um, but, but really, you should believe that. You should believe that this is the will of God for your life. Now, that'll help you because, see, sometimes in life things don't always go the way you want, correct? And oftentimes that causes people to get discouraged, defeated, distressed. They argue, they fight. Instead of stepping back and saying, now, wait a second. I believe this is where God wants me to be. I believe this is God's will for my life. And so when troubles come, that doesn't change the will of God for your life. Um, you know, we tell that to people that are getting married, right? You should marry the will of God for your life. And then after you get married, you find out he has, you know, dirty socks and she looks different without makeup and all those type of things. It's still the will of God, isn't it? When troubles come. And that's why the book of Ephesians has a lot to say about the will of God um, because God has a purpose for you in every church. And then there's some other things, and we, I think I preached about this some time ago when I was here, maybe a couple years ago, um, about how the church is fitly joined together and how that every person in the church is like part of the building, they're part of a puzzle, they're part of a piece, they're part of the body. And that's the will of God for your life. You know, and it's kind of like my body, every part of my body was created for a function and it just needs to do its function and not worry about everything else. And that's, that's a lot in the book of Ephesians on those type of things. But tonight I wanted to read a different phrase that is found here in chapter number one. And so look at verse number six. And, and I realize these are kind of out of context, um, but we'll put them back in context in a moment. But verse six says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Jump ahead to verse number 12. It says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And then look again at verse number 14. It says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And I want to say tonight that the church is supposed to be to the praise or to the glory of God. But we appreciate pastors, we appreciate workers, laborers, people that serve in the church. The church is not about us. 
It's about God being glorified. You know, praise the, praise the Lord for a few moments ago, the young men that sang a song. I enjoy hearing them sing. And um, it's a blessing to, to, to hear them praise the Lord. But it's not about them, is it? it it's, it's not about them. It's about glorifying God. Amen. And everything we do in the church is not for our glory. Now, we like it when somebody says thank you, when somebody says I appreciate that, when somebody says, boy, we're glad what you did. There's nothing wrong with all of that. But at the end of the day, we want to deflect all of that praise to God. Because without him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We, we can do absolutely nothing without God. And so it all comes back to him. And so the church is to be to the praise and the glory of God. And so tonight I want us to look at this church of Ephesus and, and maybe see some foundational things that I'm going to give you what I believe is one of the greatest truths um, in the church that all of us can do to make our church to the praise and glory of God. Let's pray and then we'll ask God to help us with this tonight. Father in heaven, Lord, we are thankful for those that have gathered tonight and Lord, Lord, those that are participating by, Lord, the internet and live stream and hearing the word of God. Lord, I pray that for the next few moments we could put everything else aside and distractions and Father, just hear from you that you might help us and you might strengthen us, you might teach us, Lord, what you want us to learn. And God, that the church, Lord, here in Custer would continue to grow stronger. It would continue to be to your praise and to your glory. Uh, Father, that your name would be lifted up, that men might be drawn unto you. And God, I pray tonight you'd help me to speak the words you want spoken, Lord, according to your plan and your purpose. God, to fulfill your will. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll come back to the book of Ephesians in just a moment. I want to, to take you back to the book of 1 Corinthians for a moment, um, just to, to see a little bit about what Paul spoke concerning this church. And if you were to take some time, maybe tomorrow or, or Wednesday, and um, if you have some time to read your Bible and study outside of your normal reading, I would challenge you to read Acts chapters 18, Acts chapter number 20. Those are the chapters where Paul, in his missionary journey, um, went to the city of Ephesus, and you'll read about the events that took place as he arrived there, and he had with him a man and a woman. He had um, Aquila and Priscilla with him, and they were, they were um, tent makers that were doing the work of God, and because of persecution, they'd had to move, and, and the Jews were chased out, and so they were there with Paul, and they were there in Ephesus, and Paul stayed a short time, and then he left, and then uh, a man named Apollos came, and Apollos was preaching, but he didn't have the full understanding of the Bible, and Aquila and Priscilla sat down, and they taught him, and he became a better preacher and did more for God. He went on, and then Paul eventually came back to Ephesus, and when he came back, he found um, 12 disciples who did not have the whole understanding of the scriptures, didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Um, they only knew the baptism of John, and Paul instructed them, finding out that probably even what they understood about the baptism of John wasn't correct, and those men became part of the church there. And so you can read those things in Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20 as Paul was establishing the church there. But I want to read to you, if you can, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, because Paul is writing back to the church at Corinth, and notice what he says here in verse number 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Now notice the next verse, verse 9. He says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And tonight I want us to say as we go into this thoughts about the church there at Ephesus, that it wasn't an easy road. 
that Paul saw a great opportunity. And you know what? I believe tonight that, that you ought to see a great opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people in my heart and my life. I believe we ought to look at every day and everything that God puts before us as an opportunity to see God do something. Um, I, don't, I think if you reach the point where you say, well, God's done and God's not going to do anything, then it's time to do something else, amen? Um, but we ought to believe that God is still going to save people, amen? And thankful your church is that way. I'm not, not preaching down to you tonight. I mean, you believe that God's going to still save people. You keep the baptistry open, amen? <laughs> Sometimes I go to churches and, and I just kind of peek, you know? And the baptistry is full of books and chairs. They've lost their expectations. It's broken. It's not ready to be used. They've lost the thought that God's going to save people. They're discouraged. They're defeated. And, and you know, we should never lose that. We should, look at, we should always look and say, before us is a, a great and effectual door. You know, it's the, the old story of, the, of the, you know, the, the shoe salesman that got to the island and he looked around and he saw that uh, nobody wore shoes and he said, cancel the shoe order, I'm coming home. They don't wear shoes over here, you know. And the other guy landed, and he saw nobody wore shoes, and he called home and said, send every shoe you got. Nobody wears them. They all need them over here, amen? <laughs> and as the world waxes worse and worse, I'm not here tonight to say the world's going to get better, okay? Those guys that get on television with their rings and jet airplanes and say it's all going to get better, they're lying to you. This world's not going to get better. The Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. But as it waxes worse and worse, it's a greater opportunity, is it not? It's a greater time for the church to thrive. It's a greater time for the church to say, we need to be busier for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that your church has, has started the, the hope ministry. You know, we live in a world today where people are struggling with addictions and depressions and all of those things. What does that mean? There's a greater opportunity for the church to what? Minister to people. You see what I'm saying? And so Paul saw that at Ephesus because Ephesus was a wicked city. Ephesus was where they worshipped the, 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 the goddess Diana. I mean, there was so much wickedness in that city. But Paul said, a great and effectual door is set before me. But on the other side of that is what Paul said, there are many what? Adversaries. Now, if you don't want the devil to bother you, then do nothing. Amen. If you don't want the devil to trouble your life, then, then just be a zero. Don't have revival. Don't try to reach children. Don't try to have missions projects. Don't try to, you know, reach into your community. Just do nothing, and the devil will leave you alone. But if you're going to look and say there's great opportunities, you have to expect his opposition. He's going to take notice of what you're doing. And there will be great battles. There were many battles that took place in the church at Ephesus. Um, you can go back, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. But um, I think they, they faced the battles of doctrines. You know, Paul, in the, in the book of Ephesians, he wrote about salvation by grace alone. That was a battle in Ephesus, that people were trying to have a work salvation. As Josh was reading that second verse there of Rock of Ages, you know, it's not our tears. It's not our things. There's nothing we can do that we can save ourselves. And that's a battle the church faces today. It's a real battle today. When I was in, in India uh, earlier this year, and um, my, my, my Indian pastor friends, they had got intertwined with some men that were teaching baptismal regeneration. And they were teaching that you get saved by baptism. And I learned it real quick because I'd ask him, are you going to heaven? Yes. Are you sure you're going to heaven? Yes. If somebody doesn't get baptized, are they still going to heaven? No. <laughs> I said, are you trusting the water or the blood? Both. 
that doesn't work. And there's such a battle today for salvation freely by grace. And that was a battle in the church at Ephesus. And you'll face that battle as a church to be a church that stands truly on the word of God, that repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's salvation, nothing else. You can't add to it and you can't take away from it. There were other battles. I think there was the battle of the church at Ephesus a little bit as Paul wrote some things there in Ephesians that, that salvation is only for a select few. But that's a prevailing doctrine that is sweeping the world again today. That God didn't die for everybody. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that whosoever, that's any person. And you'll face that battle in our world today where people will say, well, only, you know, God knows who's going to get saved, and therefore, if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved, and, and man has no choice in the matter. That's false teaching. Because the Bible is very clear. You either accept or you reject. Christ is willing, and he wants everybody to be saved. And that's why we need to go to the whole world. Will everybody be saved? No, we know that's true. We know that many will reject Jesus Christ. But that was a battle that was faced there in the church at Ephesus, as others would come in from outside and try to change the doctrines of the church. And so there were many adversities. There were the adversities of the opposition of lost people that wanted to uprise against them. You can read about some of those things. There were many things that Paul faced. So how do you, how do you be strong in those adversities? I want us tonight, if you would, just to turn over for just a moment to Ephesians chapter number 3. I'm going to give you an assignment tonight. I'm going to give you the thoughts from the scriptures. And then I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider doing something. And so Ephesians chapter number three, we're jumping kind of into the middle of it here a little bit. But Paul says in verse 13, he says, wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And I love that verse because Paul did not want the church to faint. Now you understand when he wrote this epistle, he was in Rome. All right. Um, Paul in his missionary journeys, he was going to Jerusalem. It's very interesting that he spent two years in Ephesus preaching, leading that church. And when, and when he was going to Jerusalem, he didn't go back to Antioch. I believe by this time in his ministry, his ministry had shifted to the church at Ephesus, and that was his church. And it's very interesting that as he traveled around them before he went to Jerusalem, he stopped and he called the elders from Ephesus. And he gave them some instructions. In fact, let's look at that for just a second before we come back to Ephesians chapter number 3. Um, Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. Let's just see this in the scriptures for a moment. Acts chapter number 20, because this is Paul re reporting to the elders there at Ephesus, all right? And um, it's very clear in verse 16 um, of Acts chapter 20, it says, Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So he was, he was on a mission to get somewhere, but he felt it was very important to go by Ephesus, but he couldn't get to Ephesus because of the time. So in verse number 18, or verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. He wanted to talk with them. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And he, he goes on and he talks about his testimony before them. But jump down to verse 28. And look what Paul says. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, 
to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. And so Paul had great concern for the church. He was concerned about their future. And so after he left them, he went to Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem, got to Jerusalem, had all the troubles there, ended up being arrested, put on the ship, going to Rome. He then writes back to the church this epistle that we're reading right now. So I want you just to see that time frame of his concern. And so he's giving them all these instructions in the book of Ephesians. And in verse 13, he says, I desire that you, back in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul did not want the suffering that he was going through to cause the church at Ephesus to stumble. He had a great desire that nothing in him would weaken the church. I like that, amen? Should not we have that desire today? Should we not have a desire that nothing in my life would ever weaken the brothers and sisters in the church? But sometimes we do. Sometimes we're more concerned about ourselves than the body. We're more concerned about our feelings than the church. And we don't realize that our very actions sometimes can cause the church to stumble. But we should have the heart that Paul had that the tribulations and things that he was going through, he did not want them to faint. Now, we come to our text, verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And tonight I want to give you Paul's prayer for the church. And I want to challenge you tonight to to take what Paul mentions in these next few verses and integrate them into your prayer life for the church. You see, oftentimes today we are missing the power of God's working in our local assemblies. Not that we don't pray. Um, It's just that I, I notice as I travel around the world, do you know what the number one prayer request is in churches when, when they say prayer? Exactly, yeah. The, the biggest thing that people say to pray for is health. And now don't misunderstand me tonight. I believe we ought to pray for health, amen? And I believe God can heal. I have no doubt with that. I believe God can help people that are sick and he can use the doctors or he cannot use the doctors. I believe the Bible talks about if any is sick, let him call the elders of the church. The book of James talks about that. And we ought to pray about health matters. But, but, but here's the thing tonight. Death is going to come. to the individuals. But don't we want to prevent death from coming to the church? Are you following me? I know that all of you in this room someday are going to pass away from Mountain View Baptist Church. But when you die, do you want the church to die too? You want the church to what? Thrive, to go on, amen? Now, I want to tell you something. We're, we're in a crisis in America because many churches, as the members die, the church is dying. And so, although we can pray for health, we realize that you're not going to live forever. <laughs> in fact, some people are saying, would you stop praying for my health? <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, so, 
why we should pray for help, that should not be our number one prayer request. What do you suppose the second one is? And that one kind of varies as I travel from places to places. What do you think the second one might be? I wish it was revival, amen. (laughs) Usually it has to do with economics. It has to do with jobs, housing, you know, physical things that are tied generally to the economics of the world. Now, once again, I don't think it's wrong to pray for those things. Um, I think we ought to pray for God to bless people financially and enable them to get jobs, enable them to have work that allows them to be in church and a home that is in their community. I'm all for those things, okay? But at the end of the day, is that really, I mean, when you go to the Bible, is that what Jesus prayed for? In fact, some of those things Jesus said, don't even worry about them. Your father knows you have need of them. And so tonight I want to show you four things that Paul said that he prayed for for this church. The church that he had labored in, the church that he cared for, the church that he knew was facing battles, the church that he knew their wolves were going to try to get and destroy it. And and he prayed for these four specific things. So let's note them down tonight if we would. First of all, in verse number 16, number one, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, which ties us back to chapter one. Remember his glory the verses that we read, his glory, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's the first thing tonight. What a tremendous prayer request that that you would be strengthened by God's might, by his spirit in the inner man. Think about that prayer request. That's what Paul said. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the church that you would be strengthened Now, don't we need that strengthening? When the last last couple years, I've had had disturbing phone calls um, of good friends, people that I knew, people I ministered with, people that I worked with, prayed with. And the devil got into their life and sin came. And because of that sin, they have had to step away from the ministry. Some of them had to step away in other areas. Sometimes their homes, great tragedies. And I guess something that God really convicted me about, how often we pray for somebody after they fall. When we hear of somebody struggling, you know, in the church, somebody doesn't show up and, you go and you say, hey, where's brother so-and-so? And somebody says, well, we really need to pray for them. And I agree, we do. Because maybe it's drugs, alcohol, immorality, depression. The list could go on and on of things that attack believers. Sin is real, amen? And sin gets people. But, but here's where God really convicted my heart. How much did I pray for those friends of mine before they fell. Oh, I might have mentioned them in prayer passing, particularly if they were serving the Lord in missions. I might have prayed for God to give them a building because they needed a building. I might have prayed for God to give them a vehicle because they needed a vehicle. I might have prayed for God to help them with their visa paperwork because they needed a visa paperwork. And, And you know what's amazing? God gave them the buildings. He gave them the cars. He gave them the visa paperwork. 
and it's all meaningless today because they fell. You see, spiritual battle is real. Turn over to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is about putting on the armor of God, right? And what does verse number 12 say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Isn't that right? But once again, most of our prayers for people is about flesh and blood. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you understand why Paul said, I'm praying for you, that you would be strengthened by his might, by his spirit in the inner man? Could I challenge you tonight as a member, as a person of Mountain View Baptist Church, first of all, to pray for your pastor and his wife? And say, God, please strengthen our pastor by your spirit in the inner man. Pray for his wife the same way. Because you can see the physical battles they face, but you will never understand the spiritual battles they face. But we should pray for them, amen? You should pray for your brother Adam as the deacon. God, strengthen him. You should pray for one another. You should take everybody's name down, get everybody's name in the church. And have you ever, have you ever said, boy, what do I pray about? Well, right now, we just, we just gave you a project, amen? To take everybody's name. Uh, Madison, are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure. Do you think Madison has any spiritual battles? Now, don't raise your hand, but when's the last time you prayed for her to be strengthened? by the Spirit of God in the inner man. We cry because our young people fall. But did we pray for them specifically to be strong by God's power inside? I know we prayed after they fell. I know we prayed after they did something wrong. But Paul said, I'm praying for you. Because I know the spiritual battle. I know there's grievous wolves out there. I know somebody wants to devour and destroy the church. And Paul said, I'm praying for you as the believers there that you would be strengthened by the power of God, by his spirit in the inner man. Do we understand that principle? What if we started praying that way for one another? What if you took those 43 missionaries that you have and you got their names down because they're an extension of your church? And so, Lord, I pray for that brother and that sister in Christ. And, Lord, I know they need a visa, and I know they need money, and I know they need all those things. But, God, they need your strength, lest they fall, lest their children fall. That's a powerful prayer request, isn't it? That could occupy our time. And by the way, you don't have to do it when you're on your knees in a closet somewhere. You could just be doing what you're doing throughout the day and you can start thinking about people that you know in your church and missionaries that you know and people you know and you could just simply be saying, dear God, I don't know what's in their life right now, but God, would you strengthen them by your spirit in the inner man? Don't, would you like someone to pray that for you? I would, amen. And if we would pray that one for another, I wonder how much stronger, how much more strength we would see in our churches. Look at the second thing that Paul said, verse 17. 
Number two, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, that's an interesting prayer request. And we might look at that. First of all, we might think Paul is saying he's praying for salvation. But we know he's not because these are already what? Believers, right? They're the church. You can't be in the church unless you're a believer. So when Paul says, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, he's not praying for their salvation. He's praying for what needs to take place in every believer's life. Dwelling in your heart by faith. That, that word dwell is such a key word there. Now, I travel, and usually I have my trailer, you know, but, you know, there's many times that I'm traveling and I stay in someone's house or I stay someplace. And, you know, when you stay in somebody's house, you know what they almost always, in fact, I'll be at the house next week, and the family's been emailing me, and even their email, they put this down in there. They said, we want you to make yourself at home. Now, I know they don't really mean that. I know, I know they're being kind and they're sincere, but they don't really mean for me to make myself at home. Could you see if I showed up with a change of address form? <laughs> Said my mail's going to be coming here now, amen? <laughs> you told me to make myself at home. Oh, yeah, the moving boxes are showing up. <laughs> I've been looking for a place to store my library, amen? <laughs> That's the ugliest picture I've ever seen on the wall. That needs to go. <laughs> I mean, after all, they told me to make myself at what? Home, right? You don't need all those things in your cupboard. <laughs> Get rid of that stuff. They'd say, well, Brother Smith, that's not exactly what we meant, right? Because there's a difference between visiting and truly dwelling. And Paul said, I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your heart by faith. That's a powerful prayer request. I love, I love telling this story, so I just tell it, even though I probably told it before. But when, I remember when I was getting married, I lived with some guys to save money for just a few weeks because they didn't know and understand things like cleanliness, you know. And um, really, I was trying to save money and thought, you know, five guys in an apartment, one-room apartment, that'd be great. But they didn't take the trash out until the trash was up this high. They didn't wash dishes until the cupboard was empty. It was just bad. And I had a sofa. That was my little bed and, um, you know, my sofa and my shower time, and I paid my bill. But I came up from work one night real late because I worked a night shift, and it was actually early in the morning. And we had a rule you couldn't turn lights on. You just had to go to your bed, you know, and, and so everybody else could sleep. And so I went in there, and I laid on that sofa. And when I laid down, I jumped right back up because there was something on the sofa. I flipped the lights on. One of my roommates had ran over an animal, and he'd skinned that thing and stretched it right there. And it was laying on my bed. <laughs> I woke everybody up. I moved out the next morning. I went and found a different apartment, amen. <laughs> I couldn't take it. I said, this is too much for me, you know. And um, so I got my new apartment, you know, and I moved in, had a bed. And that was about it, and like one dish in the cupboard, you know, and bare walls. And, um, but I was just, just two months from getting married. And so my wife, Risa, she, um, I said, well, you know, anytime I'm not there, you're welcome to go there and put stuff in. And it, it got to be fun because when she wasn't working, I'd be working. I'd come home the next morning. First thing I'd do is flip on lights and see what she did, you know. And she put pictures on the wall. And, of course, there was always a nice note. That was the first thing to read, you know. And um, all that fun stuff, seeing her decorate that place. And she was making it her house because she was going to what? Dwell there. My favorite night was the night I came home. I look around. I'm like, wow, she didn't do anything. She must have not been able to come by. Walked in the bathroom, flipped the light on. Ah, she'd been working in the bathroom. And that beautiful toilet had lace all around it, you know. Woo! I never had a lacy toilet before. That was pretty high class, you know. And she was just making that her place. Amen. You know, now, somebody, Josh, you'll be able to get up and say, 
my wife, she came and she tarred. <laughs> but, uh, but, but you understand the, the word dwelling there? That Christ would dwell in your heart, and here's the two key words, by faith. That you're willing to give him access to every area of your life by faith. You're willing to let him make any changes in any area of your life that he wants to by faith. Paul knew the believers in the church needed that, and so he prayed, God, I pray that you would help so-and-so, and I'd help this person, help this person. And God, I pray that you would dwell in their heart by faith. Not that they would be saved, they already are. But they would allow God to have access and change in every area. Aren't we good at complaining about each other? If we went around this room tonight and said, so what do you think brother so-and-so should do or change? Boy, let me tell you, if he would just, <laughs> I mean, we're all that way, okay? We all look at our friends and people, and we, we have things we'd like to change about them. And, and you know you can't change them. But have you ever prayed that they would simply be what God wants them to be? That they would just let God work in their heart the way he wants to work in their heart. And be happy with that, amen? Be happy with that. Be happy that, hey, you know what? I've been praying for that person and I trust God and I'm just praying that God will work in their heart that they'll let him do whatever it is that God wants to do because after all, God knows more what they need than I do. Do you see Paul's prayers? It's a little bit different than we often pray today. What if we took our pastor, his wife, the leadership of the church, every other member, families that are visiting, people that have been newly saved and baptized, and we prayed that prayer request for them. Look at the third thing that Paul says in verse 17. He says in the middle of the verse, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. And so he says now, he's prayed for these people to be strengthened in the inner man. He's prayed for Christ to dwell in their heart by faith. And now he prays that they would know the depths of the love of God. That they would just be immersed in knowing the love of God. Now that's powerful. Because Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments, right? Jesus also said that if you love me, you'll have love what? Have you ever had a, don't raise your hand, all right, because I know it's true. But have you ever had a problem with anybody that's sitting in this room? Yes, of course you have. Have you ever prayed that they would just understand the love of God? And that you would understand the love of God? Because when we get immersed in the love of God, who God is. Let me try to illustrate it this way. When I really begin to understand some of the depths of God's love for me, it's kind of hard for me to be angry at anybody because no one has ever offended me as much as I offended God. No one has ever wronged me as much as I wronged him. And you know what God did? He still loved me. Isn't that amazing? 
God knows everything about me and he still loves me. Here's what we do. We find out something about somebody and what do we say? I don't love you anymore. Well, we don't say love. We say I don't like you anymore. I don't want to be around you anymore. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Aren't you glad that God in heaven, his love is endless? The depth, the breadth, the width, the height. Paul understood some of the problems they would face at the church of Ephesus, so he was concerned that they would be rooted deep in the love of God. Next time you have a problem with somebody, maybe ask yourself, have I been praying that they'd be rooted in the love of God? Next time somebody's angry at you, instead of getting angry back, say, hmm, maybe I should have been praying that they would know the love of God better. Amen? Because if they knew the love of God better, yeah, they'd still have to, you know, deal with my problem, but they wouldn't be so angry at me. Did you follow what I'm saying? And these are just practical things that Paul knew were real living that we often never pray about things like this for people. Now, you could go over the book of Colossians. You could go and find other places where there's other lists of things that are important to pray for. But I'm trying to get us to see tonight that we shouldn't, it's not just saying, dear God, bless my pastor. Dear God, bless my pastor's wife. Dear God, bless that person in the church. No, we ought to pray specifically about real things that people face, not just health and money. And not after the problem. But before it ever happens. Let me give you the last one. Because the last one is the end of verse number 19. Because he says, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's an amazing statement that Paul made right there. He didn't just say to be filled with God. But he said to be filled with all the fullness of God. And maybe I should have brought something in to illustrate this tonight. But I think you can see it in your mind. But if I had a glass of water up here tonight. And it had water in it. And it had a rock in it. Is it full of water? No, it's full of I rock in water, right? In order to be totally full of water, what do I have to do? Take the rock out, right? And if I take the rock out, then I can fill it all the way full with what? Water. That's what Paul was praying for. Not to just be filled with God, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, you understand tonight that when you got saved, you received all of the spirit of God you're ever going to get, right? But two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time, can they? But the Spirit of God will expand into any space in your life that you will vacate something. And everything in our life, when the Spirit of God begins to push something out, if we would just push it out, he'll fill that spot. Now, that's a blessing because you know what? You could be as full of the Spirit of God as you need to be right now. You say, well, I'm not like so-and-so. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to each other. You see what I'm saying? You can be a brand new Christian and be totally full of the Spirit of God in the sense of his power. Now, God's going to want to push some things out as life goes on, right? When he's ready, he'll start nudging. You remove it, he'll fill that void. The problem is sometimes we've been saved for many years, and in our early, in our early Christian life, um, we were good at removing some of those stones, but then we stopped removing them. And I'll promise you tonight that every single one of us in this room, 
if we would ask God, he'll show us things that need to vacate our life so that we can be full of the fullness of God. It's a lifelong journey of letting God work on you and perfect you and complete you and prepare you for the things that he wants to prepare you for. And Paul said, I pray for the church, for the believers, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, here's the last thoughts. It's not a continuation of a prayer request, but notice what Paul says here in verse 20 and 21. He says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we we could be talking about praying for these things and we're like, but God is able to do these things plus abundantly more. Look what it says. According to the power that worketh in us. And then what does it say? Unto him, unto Christ. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. In other words, it's still for us today. It's still for us today. And by the way, the church at Ephesus was responsible for getting the gospel to all of Asia. Did you know God could still do that today? God could take a church like Mountain View Baptist Church in a little town called Custer, South Dakota, and it could be responsible for getting the gospel to so many places. A great opportunity, amen? But many adversaries. And yes, we surely want people to stay healthy. We want people to have their jobs and their finances met. But friend, we need to pray about the spiritual things that are real. And I would challenge you tonight to take those four thoughts and you can go and find others in some of the other epistles, but, but, but start somewhere and say, I want to pray very specifically for my pastor, his wife, his family. I want to pray for the deacons. I want to pray for the other leaders in the church. I want to pray for every member. I want to get a name. I want to, get, I want to put their name down on paper. Maybe I know them in my head. And I'm going to start asking God to help me to pray specifically about these spiritual things. You got Anchor Club coming up? Get every child's name. Put their name down and say, God, help these young people. Um, If they're not saved, to be saved. But many of them we know are saved. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help them. You'd protect them. Lord, they're in school. They're spiritual battles. I pray they'd be filled with your spirit. I pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Do you see what I'm saying? All of a sudden you say, man, preacher, I went from having nothing to pray for to lots to pray for. And that's why the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Amen? Because I'll promise you, you're you're going down the the road and somebody's name is going to come into your head. And I can tell you, this God convicted me about this some time ago because I was burdened for some of my friends that had fallen away. And so today, by God's grace, and I'm not perfect at it, but I try to do it. When a name comes to my mind, if your pastor's name comes to my mind, I try to pray for at least one or two or three of those four things. Because I don't know what he's facing. When somebody in a church comes to my mind, I try to pray for them. Now, I don't stop and park my vehicle and get out by the side of the road and kneel down. (laughs) I just keep driving. And I say, Lord, bless Brother Dave. I'm not sure what's going on, but Lord, I pray he'll be strengthened by your might 
by your spirit in the inner man. Don't you think that God brings people's names to your mind for a purpose? And we could become prayer warriors and see what God could do, amen? So that's my assignment. That's my prayer for you tonight, that you would take this to heart and ask God to help you to pray more seriously about one another. Let's pray tonight. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray you would help us this evening. Lord, thank you for the scriptures that are so practical, Lord, and so real. World without end, the same God that called the apostle Paul to prayer, that put in his heart a burden for a church that he labored in for two and a half years, a church that he saw many opportunities, but he saw many adversaries, but he knew, Lord, that you were greater than that. And God, it's the same today. And Lord, even tonight, would we think of others, Lord, that you might bring to our heart and our mind. And God, we would pray for them. But we don't know who might be facing that great temptation tonight. And God, I pray that you would protect them, bring scripture verses to mind, bring someone across their path, Lord, that would help them to be strong. Lord, somebody that might be on the edge of bitterness, and Lord, they need to know the love of God. Lord, somebody that is needing to let you have access to an area of their heart, that God, they would do that tonight. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen us according to your will and your mercy. And God, you would use this church in a wonderful way. Father, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen, Pastor Matt, if you'll come tonight.